A long time ago, a man in prison hit his knees in humble yet confident and intense prayers for his friends, for people that he loved. And he did not pray for their health. He did not pray for an increase of their financial resources. He did not pray for them to get out of difficult circumstances. Uh, He didn't pray for the squashing of relational conflict. All great things to pray for. Nothing wrong with praying those things. He He didn't pray for these things. Instead, what he prayed for was their hearts and their minds and their wills, what the Bible calls our inner being. And this man fiercely, intensely prayed for the inner being of the people that he loved. And the prayer that this man prayed a long time ago is really the same way that we can be praying today. Because one of the things that is a best gauge of our spiritual health and the spiritual health of the people we care about is our prayer life. How we pray, how frequently we pray, who we pray to, what's the substance of our prayers. And as we've been talking about the gospel for you know, the, the last several months and, and months to come, this gospel understanding of who Jesus is and what he did by dying on the cross for us, that Jesus lived the life we could never live, died the death that we should have died, and was raised from the grave to bring us new life and eternal life with him. This understanding of God's love and his sacrifice for sin on our behalf, this gospel shapes every aspect of our life, which means it's going to shape the way we pray. A gospel-fueled prayer is going to sound different than maybe the average way that we find ourselves praying. Few things tell us and others about our relationship with God and our spiritual health as much as our prayer life. And so with that, let me ask you, what would you say is the substance of your prayer life? What do your prayers sound like? Is prayer for you a first response in your life or more of a last response? Resort. Do you typically pray for short term gains and immediate and physical needs or earthly matters primarily? And and all those things are good. In fact, you see biblical examples of praying for such matters. Jesus prayed that way. You see a lot of Psalms that, you know, pray this way. Uh, There's nothing wrong with praying this way, but do we stop there? Is there a whole other capacity of prayer fueled by the gospel that we have been? missing. Also, when you think about your prayer life and how often you pray for yourself, which we would call prayers of petition, everyone say petition. That's when we petition God for needs in our life. And how much of your prayer life is intercession? Say intercession. And that's when we stand in the gap and we pray for other people. What, what's, how, how would you slice that pie? Are you 50-50? 70-30? 90-10? When God hears you, is he hear just about what you have on your heart or what you think is also the needs of other people? And taking that to a whole other level, if God were to answer yes to all of your prayer requests, and we know that he mixes it up, right? Yes, no, maybe, not now, never, <laughs> you know. God, God has an arsenal of answers, but if he were to say yes to every single prayer request you ever lay before his feet, would only your life change? 
Would anyone else's life change? And would those prayers have any sort of shelf life beyond whatever you're laying before him? Do our prayers matter five years from now? If God were to say yes to all our prayers, would it matter in five years? Would it matter in 50 years? Would it matter in 100 years from now? A thousand? Would it matter for eternity if God said yes to all our prayers? This is, this is where we're going to be today because we need to look at the substance of our prayers and how the gospel shapes them. And the man I was talking about in the beginning who was in jail praying this way is the Apostle Paul. This man whose life was absolutely radically transformed by God, which means his prayers are transformed. And there he was praying for this group of Christians living in northern Greece in the first century in a city called Ephesus. And so we're going to look at the prayer that he prayed. So open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And as you turn to Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 14 through 21. We're finishing up the back half of chapter 3 in this book of Ephesians. And as we do so, I want to let you know we're going to include a couple of little bit different items today. Some of you are like, that's so not like you, Chad, to try to do something a little different. Do something a little different. I don't want to just talk at you. I don't want to just talk about concepts, talk about God, talk about prayer. But I believe, and I, I believe you do too, the best way for us to learn and grow is to do. Sitting and listening isn't the way we grow best. It's doing what we're talking about. And so I want to provide you opportunities to, to do a little bit of what we're going to be talking about today, which is around prayer. And so uh, you need two things. One, you need something to write on or something to write with. All of you online, you have the advantage. You can just press pause or grab a journal, grab a notebook, whatever you've got in the house there. Um, The rest of us, I don't know if you have a journal with you or a Bible page or a blank page in your Bible you can write in. Or if you'd like to use your device, uh, we have these journals. If you would like to have one of these journals, just raise your hand. We have some folks walking around. This one's available. Who wants this one? Okay. Jamie. There you go. Absolutely. And so uh, there'll be a couple moments where I'm going to have you write some things in this journal. And the second thing you need is just an openness to pray about what we're going to talk about. So that's where we're going to be going today. So with that, let's look at ourselves in Ephesians chapter 3. Be prepared to do some writing here in a little bit. And let's dive into this. Let's again pray. Father, thank you for your word, how it's real, it's raw. God, thank you that it invites us into relationship with you, invites us to learn more about you, how to be like you. It shares the gospel. It gives us hope. It talks about our future. It gives us understanding because it talks about our past. Your word's perfect. And God, thanks for meeting us in this place. We all come today hungry, humbly needing to grow in our understanding of the gospel, how to walk the gospel in our life, which includes how to pray. So let us learn what you want us to learn through the power of your Holy Spirit today as we look at this Prayer of Paul for the Christians in Ephesus. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said. The substance of Paul's prayer is pretty significant. And I see four requests that I want us to orbit around today. Four requests of how Paul prayed for the spiritual health from a very mature standpoint for his Christian friends. The first request that he had in this prayer is a prayer of strength. Let's look at the passage. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, start, or 3, I mean, starting in verse 14. Let's, just, let's read through the whole text first, and then we'll come back to the points. He says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Let's just pause there. Uh, for this reason, we kind of have to, well, for what reason are you talking about? We'll go back to Ephesians 3.1. Just scroll back to Ephesians 3.1. What does it say there? For this reason. <laughs> okay. So, so what do I do with that? So for this reason in Ephesians 3.14, what reason? Ephesians 3.1, for this reason. Well, what reason? Go back to Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, you see this unpacking of God saying through the Apostle Paul, I have now made one group of people from two. I have taken Jew and Gentile, two different ethnicities, two different backgrounds, and I've fused them together to be one new people group, one new man. And because you are unified in Christ, because you're this family in Christ, for this reason, I'm going to pray this way, is what he's saying. And then he says, I bow my knees to the Father. And now, this is where I just want to stop because there's all these little nuances in Scripture that we miss if we don't understand certain things. And for us, in a Western American concept, uh, context, uh, hitting our knees in prayer, being on our knees in prayer, is like, oh yeah, sometimes we pray on our knees. You've got to understand, this is from a Jewish context. And so Jews traditionally, when they pray, pray standing up. In fact, if you even go today to the Western Wall, right, you will see Jewish men and women standing by the wall, and they're rocking, and they're praying standing up, a lot of times with hands raised. So that's more of the traditional regular prayer is standing up. So for Paul to say, I bow my knee, this is actually more intense. This means he's really pouring this out. Now, if you study the postures of prayer in the Bible, you see people standing, you see people raising their hand, you see people on their knees, and there's another position. Where is it? You want to know? Flat on your face, right? Prostrate. Like, my face is in the dirt, my face is in the carpet, I'm just coming before God, just, God, I need you in this moment, or I, I, I confess this. And so for Paul to say, I'm on my knees, this is not like we do, like, hey, I'll pray for you. You have a prayer request? I'll remember to pray for you. Got that? Hey, by the way, I just I said a prayer for you the other day. That's not what he's doing here. He's like, I am pouring my guts out before our heavenly Father who made all of us with this request. So what's the substance of his prayer? First one, he prays for strength. Look at verse 16 again. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be, what's the word? Strengthened. Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul is praying for the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in a believer when they come to faith in Christ to then pour power, activate power within our hearts, our minds, our wills, our inner being. But before we get into that, you can't just like skim over this first part, that according to the riches of his glory. We're talking about the riches of God's glory. How rich is God? How big is his glory? How grandiose is the glory of God and how vast is the richness of it? Like, can we measure it? No, we can't. And just to put that in perspective for you, let's just say two hours from now, you were sitting across a table talking to a multi-billionaire. This is a person who has a lifestyle that you can't even fathom, right? Airplanes, yachts, they've got, you know, houses and villas on you know, multiple continents and a, and a bank account that you can't even like, wrap your mind around. Yet, this person absolutely loves Jesus. They see all the resources as from God, and they want to use these resources to, to grow God's kingdom. And the person sitting across from you going, if you have something that God's put on your heart, I would like to know how I can help you make it a reality. 
What do you need? You need to fly somewhere to make it happen? In fact, you need your own plane? Oh, oh you want a helicopter? Okay, we can do that. Oh, you need a village? Okay, you're gonna, you're gonna build, a ho- oh, you wanna build 10 hospitals? Let's do 15. Like, just, just be able to make things happen. There's like, oh, you realize how small you think at that moment, right? We'll just click on that and blow it up even more. This is the almighty living God, creator of the universe. How much power does he have? How much glory does he have? How much wealth does he have in the sense of he owns everything? And so when Paul says here that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, how much power do we have accessible when we pray? Unlimited. As a believer, we have an unlimited amount of power at our disposal to pray and to focus. And as I've been studying this stuff over the week or two, one of the convictions that has just risen up in me is like, I pray too small. I just pray too small. I don't pray enough. And I just realized, man, that we have this unlimited power of God accessible that can pour strength into the inner being of believers through his Holy Spirit. And so he prays that their inner being will be strengthened. The fact that Paul prays that their inner being will be strengthened lets us know that our inner being can be weakened. And we all know what that feels like, right? We all know what it feels like to be on emotional vapors, spiritual fumes, and just feeling empty and discouraged and defeated. We've all, raise your hand if you've ever been there. <laughs> look around. If you're there now, look around. You are not alone. This is part of the human experience. Some of you are going like, I'm there right now. But you just described my life. Guess what? You know what my prayer is for you? You know what your prayer is for me in those moments? That according to his riches, his glory, God would strengthen you through his power in your inner being. We have a God who can strengthen us in those moments. And the beauty of that is if the inner person is touched by God, transformed by God, strengthened by God, guess what happens? It flows out to the outer person. If we want to be super honest and super transparent, do we typically pray more for the outer person or the inner person in our prayers? What do you guess? Outer. Outer. Is it wrong to pray for the outer? Not at all. It's all over the pages of Scripture. But why do we not focus this kind of power at the inner? Because if the inner changes, then the outer will change too. And so if you've got a loved one who won't stop abusing alcohol or taking drugs, the prayer of precision for that person is that God would touch their heart and bring conviction and stir a hunger for holiness and righteousness and a dependency on God. That's how we pray for the inner person. We don't just pray that they'll not just want to take drugs and drink alcohol in an abusive way. It's like, that's fine, but there's a deeper way to pray. You have a loved one who is just in unhealthy relationships, chronic unhealthy relationships. It's okay to pray that God closes doors to relationships and moves them out of those relationships and all that kind of external stuff. But the bigger request, the more powerful request, is that God would touch their inner being and all of a sudden they would tap into who they are in Christ. Every other relationship would pale in comparison and they would use this God filter, this gospel filter with all these relationships and it would change their relational appetites. What are they looking for in all those wrong people? Pray over that. 
So this is talking about how to pray for strength and inner being. And this, by the way, brings a broken heart to us because we think about those who don't know Christ. If they don't know Christ, how are they ever going to experience what we're talking about? Are they going to find it in one of the thousands of self-help books they're going to buy or rent? Or podcasts they're going to listen to on like, hey, be a better you? Like at what point does that stuff just like tap out? It's only through the power and presence of the living God in our inner being that strength like this comes. So get your journals out or whatever you're going to capture or write. Some of you, maybe, you know, you can take a screenshot of the, the screen of your phone if that helps you. But I want to just talk about something. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. We're going to do this four times. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I'm going to give you some time to actually pray over the answers to the questions. The first question is this. As we talk about this first prayer request for strength, what brother or sister in Christ comes to mind who's weak and discouraged that needs to be strengthened in the Lord? Who is someone that comes to mind that you know that loves Jesus, but they're just weak right now, they're discouraged? Write down their name. Write down this is how you can pray for them. And that's your prayer of intercession here in a second. And then your prayer of petition is, where do I feel weak and discouraged and need the Lord strengthening? Like, where do I feel this way? And I'm going to give you guys a minute to literally just pray right now. Just between you and the Lord, pray over that person, the words of this text, and also pray for yourself. 60 seconds, go. So we see Paul pray for strength. We have others in our lives that we think of that need the strength of the Lord in their life and ourselves. The second request we see here is he prays for love. He prays for love. Look at verse 17. He continues in his prayer. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. Love. Now, first we have to get over this language. He's praying that they would be... Um, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Now remember, he's talking to, writing to, praying for believers. So isn't this already, already reality, that Christ is dwelling in the hearts? Yes. But I think what he's doing is he's helping them understand this more thoroughly, that when they gave their lives to Christ, when they acknowledged that they were sinners, put their belief in Jesus and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, his resurrection from the grave to conquer victory over death and sin, like, like when they did that, Jesus didn't just come to visit on occasion. He didn't like set up like a little pop-up tent inside of us and go like, hey, I'll, I'll come check on you every now and then. He came to dwell. Like when we say, ask Jesus into your heart, like that's what scripture tells us. He will move in. Christ, the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the Lord himself moves in and dwells with us through faith. But to have faith. So it's because of that, you're going to be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. And so we understand that, that when we see a prayer request for God's love, that we be rooted and grounded in love, two, two uh, aspects of that become very evident. One, that we would understand God's love for us. We'll even talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But that God's love for us, we're rooted in God's love. We're not rooted in fear. We're not, we're, not, we're not rooted in, you know, um, performance. We're rooted in love. And even though at our point of conversion, there might have been a little fear of God, like, I don't want to be on the wrong side of things with my maker. But what's most compelling about God to us when we put our faith in Christ was God's love for us. And so we're rooted in God's love for us and God as love in such a way that it flows out of our life 
And we then become compassionate and caring and loving to others. You can always tell when the love of God has grown cold in someone's life because they don't love others well, right? And the second that I stop loving others well, I can tell that my love for God, something's going on there. So I need to come back to being rooted and grounded in love so that God's love for me is always amazing. Always, I'm always awestruck by his love for me. I always feel undeserving of his love for me in such a way that then his love for me becomes his love through me to others. And when we're rooted and grounded in love, we're more compassionate, we're more hospitable, we're more humble, we're more gracious. We, we take big risks for the Lord because we're compelled by his love. And then that love naturally flows out of us as an outcome as we live our faith in Jesus. And so I want you to take that concept, being rooted and grounded in love, and get that journal out, or whatever you're writing in right now. And who would you write down for this? What brother or sister in Christ comes to mind that needs to be refreshed in their love for God and love for others? And again, we're not sitting here like high and mighty and judging these people. This is like God's putting this person on my mind that their love for God can be refreshed. And I know their love for others can be refreshed. And then also the prayer of petition is, um, how do I need to be refreshed in my love for God? My love for others. And so take some time right now. Pray that prayer of intercession for whoever comes to mind that you wrote down. And also pray that prayer of petition. What did you write down? What area of my life? How do I need to be refreshed? Take some time and talk to the Lord about that right now. So we see in the substance of this prayer, these four requests, we see first this request for strength, that we be strengthened in our inner being by the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being. We see this prayer for love, to be rooted and grounded in love. And thirdly, we see a prayer for knowledge. And when I say knowledge, I'm not talking, and you'll see in a second, it's not just head knowledge, it's just more content for my brain, but more of this experiential understanding which is always really interesting because uh, we live on this, in, this, in this middle ground of going, if my faith is all knowledge and it doesn't touch my heart, then it's empty. It's empty. It's just, it's, just, it's just information. But if it's all just about my feelings and like what I experience, then it's anemic. And you can actually be believing false theology. And so you have to find this place where it's like my head and my heart connect and that's what's being said here. So look, look at verse 18 and 19. He's continuing on. He says in this prayer that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, all the other believers, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses what? Knowledge. What well, Paul's praying here for the Christians in Ephesus, and it's a prayer that we want to pray for others and others pray for us, is that we would know the scope of Christ's love, even though it's beyond knowing. That we would have a better understanding of the scope of Christ's love, even though we know it's beyond knowing. So this is really what Paul's saying. I'm praying that you'll know more about what you could never fully know. <laughs> That's what he's praying. I pray you know more about what you can't ever fully know. Because it's beyond our comprehension. Like at what point in time as a disciple of Jesus do we ever go, you know what? I've been thinking and praying and meditating on the love of Christ and I think I got it all figured out. It's on lock. Got it in a box. I'm good to go. Nothing else to learn. This, this is the love of Christ. This is, this is talking about the vastness 
of Christ's love, God's love manifested through his son, Jesus. And this really taps into the, the gospel. And so this is a plea to understand how big God is and how unlimited he is in his mercy and his grace and his love toward us and to what lengths God will go to to express his love for us. And we know that's, we know that's what comes to mind when we see the cross. Because the one who should have been hanging on the cross was me, was you. God's a just God. He will punish our rebellion and sin. The, the, the arrogance, the audacity to think that we can live our life blatantly sinning against God every day with our thoughts and our minds and our actions and choices, get to the end of our life and say, I lived a good life, right? Because we're grading on a curve with people when it's like, no, you got to compare yourself to God, not to the next person. And we're going to stand before God and he's just going to be like, ah, oh, I'll just give you a pass. You're good. Well, this other person, eh, they prayed that I would give you a pass, so I like them, so yeah, I'll give you a pass. Where do we get these crazy constructs? We're going to stand one day face to face with the living God, pure, holy, righteous, and just. We should pay and be punished for our rebellion and disobedience. And instead, instead, God says, no, no, no. I've had a plan from the beginning. I'm going to send my son who's going to be nailed to the cross and he's going to pay for all of your sin. Every failure you've ever had is now on him. He's your substitute. He's taking your place. He's going to take it for you so that you don't have to. And now you're made right with me. Now you can have forgiveness and heaven and relationship. We can enjoy each other forever. Can we comprehend that? Is there any way we can wrap our minds around that kind of vastness of Christ's love? And for those of us that are parents... Like, look, would I ever nail either of my two daughters or my son to a cross for your benefit? Hey, look, I love you. No way. No way. Would you ever allow your children to die in the place of someone else for their benefit? Now, some of you might be thinking it depends on the day with my child. But what especially if it was a criminal on death row? Would you do that? We wouldn't even let our children die for a good person, let alone someone who's been so blatantly evil. Guess what? We're blatantly evil. Let's get over ourselves. And God loved us that much to send his son for us. When you see this, that you would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know more about what you could never fully know until you're with me. I want that more. How about you? And I want my friends who know Christ to want that more and to know that more. And so let's take that and let's move into our journals. Write down the name and the answers to these questions. What brother or sister in Christ comes to mind that could know the love of Christ in a deeper way? Like really wrap their minds around what Jesus did. And the fact that we're beloved children of God now and the access we have to God through Christ and belief in him. And like, like what person comes to mind that you know 
loves Christ, they're a believer, but they really need to grow in this area of comprehension of Christ's love. And the second, how do I need to know the love of Christ in a deeper way? Like, where am I lacking in this area of my own life? So take some time. Take it to the Lord right now in prayer and go. The substance of this prayer has these four requests. We see a prayer for strength. We see a prayer for love. We see a prayer for knowledge. And then we see a prayer for fullness. Look at verse 19, the back half of it. He continues in this prayer and says, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And we're kind of like, what does that even mean, right? Does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? It means that God has moved into your mind into your heart, into your will in such a way that he is filling up every nook and cranny with his power and his love, his mercy, his grace. We all know we have room to grow. God has given us this capacity to be full of him. And, and we're really never going to reach the maximum capacity until we're with him. But until then, it's just like we can continue to have this ability to be filled up with the fullness of God. And as he fills us up, it, it transforms us and how we think and how we act and how we believe and how we treat others and what, what uh, makes our heart beat, what moves us to compassion and tears. And so this is the work on the inside. This is the inner person under the transformational power of the Holy Spirit becoming more and more like God. So he's praying for the fullness of God in his friends. What a great prayer. Now, man, I, I'd love to have more people praying for the fullness of God in my life. How about you? More and more people praying that God's fullness would be in you. Because here's what we know. The, the more fullness of God we have in our own life, then the less a fullness of self we'll have. We all know what it's like to walk away from a conversation with someone going, man, that person is full of themselves, right? And the, the slightly humorous and ironic part is that they're probably walking away from some of those conversations thinking of you going... And that person is full of themselves. Because <laughs> we've all done that. But what if God starts to answer this prayer in our life and, and we start to see more of a fullness of God, that, that he has that kind of takeover of how we think and act and believe and what our affections are, and it comes out with those who know us and encounter us, and instead people walk away from an encounter with us going, I think that person's full of God. I think I just hung out with someone who... They're not spinning out crazy like the rest of the world. There's this peace in their life. There was a compassion. There was a love. They were locked into me. There was something about this person that makes me just want to, like, how do I describe it? I, th I think they're full of God. What an awesome prayer to have answered. Not just for us as individuals, but as a, as a church family. Like, think about that for a second. Like when God encounters our church family, they're like, man, I, I think I keep running into these people in this church and I, I just feel like they're full of God. Because that's really the best metric of a healthy church spiritually. As, as fun, as awesome, as encouraging it is to be in a room full of people praising and worshiping God, the best metric for a spiritually healthy church is not a building full of people. It's a people full of God. And then those people full of God go out there. We gather, we watch online, we gather whatever we're able to do right now and we encourage and we learn and we grow and then we go out as people full of God making a difference in this world. What a great prayer. 
He doesn't really spell it out and give us a lot of detail, but I think we get it. As the fullness of God increases, the fullness of self decreases, and God just continues to grow us and groom us and sanctify us to be more like him. So what would need to change in your life so that when people encounter you, they would walk away going, I think I just talked to a person who's really full of God. And what attitude or doubt or disobedient behavior or lie or prideful attitude is hindering you from experiencing the fullness of God in your life? So let's take it to these journals, or whatever you're writing on or capturing it with. Question, what brother or sister in Christ comes to mind who could use a little more surrender so that the fullness of God flows through their lives? This is not, again, a judgmental, like, you know, I'm better than you. It's like, man, this, this is the person God's putting on my heart right now, and so I'm going to pray for him. Which one of my spiritual family could just use this more in their life? And then, how do I need to grow so that the fullness of God flows through my life. So take a minute, take it to prayer with the Lord right now, go. Some of you are getting irritated because you're like, I need more time. Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you, but there's times I'm praying, I'm like, if I can just stay on track for 15 seconds, that's a win, you know? But like when you, when you, when you launch from Scripture, and you pray Scripture for others and intercede, and then petition and, and ask the Lord, like, like, we grow deeper in prayer, longer in prayer. It's, it's, it's really good. It's almost like God did that on purpose, right? <laughs> and so we see this prayer. Man, the substance of this prayer. Requesting that we would grow in strength, grow in love, grow in knowledge, grow in fullness of God. And then like a grand finale. Look at these last verses. Look at verse 21 and 20 and 21 of Ephesians 4. It's like he wraps up the prayer. Like here's how I'm praying for you, right? It's like I'm going to pray for you. With, with like this intense prayer, here's what I'm praying, and then at the end, it's like here's this grand finale sign-off. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we have or ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. It's just like watching a fireworks show, man. We're like, we're going through this, these verses going, ooh, yeah, that's good. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's like off he goes about how awesome and big God is and how immeasurable and how abundant, like beyond your imagination, God can show up. And think about our prayer life for a minute. It's like we have this vastness in God, this all-powerful God, and we come to him like, almighty God, here's the cry of my heart. My knee kind of hurts today a little bit. Can you just make it feel better? Is there anything wrong with that prayer? Absolutely not. But are we going to stop there? I'm going to stop there. Look, if you give me a Corvette and I stop at 20 miles an hour, if you just say, hey, here's the Audubon, here's a Corvette, have fun. I'm not going to go 20, 25. I want to see what this baby has. But that's what we do with our prayer life. God's like, what do you want? Well, I just kind of want to cruise. Just romp on it. <laughs> I like what the ESV Gospel Transformation Bible says in the commentary. He says, the reason we don't Doubt God's ability. The reason we doubt God's ability to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think is that we're grossly underestimate the power at work within us. We do not have a little nine volt battery of spiritual power inside of us, but an entire nuclear power plant of divine might. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now indwells us by His presence and Spirit. We ought to anticipate and request that God will overcome big sins, change bad habits, and make us better followers of Christ. 
And you're going to see that happen when we pray a lot for the inner person. And so here's my challenge today. The way that we've prayed today through this text, will you do it for three more days? We kind of did a little bit this morning. Will you do it tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday? Will you commit to praying this passage for these people and whoever else God puts on your mind and for yourself for the next three days? How many say, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Okay, got it, three days. Okay, pray this way for three days. Some of you think, well, Chad, that's, why, did, why did you say only three days? Because here's what I have found out. If I say seven, you might give me three. If I say three, you might end up doing seven. Because I'm convinced if you do it three days in a row, you're going to want to do day four. You're going to want to do day five. And then it can become a regular part of your prayers. One of our staff people, as we were talking about this this week, she shared that a mentor in her life, she found out that she'd been praying this passage for her. And she started connecting the dots of how God was answering those prayers in her life, in her ministry. So now that she's mentoring others, guess what she's doing? She's praying this passage for them. And so that's, that's what we are called to do. Gospel-fueled prayers, praying like this. Uh, as far as a follow-up, if there's any way we can connect with you based on what you just heard and learned today, like if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want to find out more, text us at our response number. If we touched on something, you just need some additional pastoral encouragement or you got a question or you just need to connect, whether you need Christ or you need some encouragement, just text the word connect to us at our response number We'll reach out, we'll get in touch, we'll see how we can serve you and encourage you. Right now, what I want to do is just, let's just stand. And let's just proclaim through music this awesome Savior we have, the one that we get to pray to. Amen?